0: You may remember the late Dave Thomas. Dave was the, uh, was the founder of the restaurant Wendy's, and uh, there was a season where he did a lot of their commercials. Remember that guy? Remember his? And uh, I'm told that he had uh, ways of motivating his, uh, his company. One of them was success is service. And uh, he was he was always trying to to bring about a a uh, uh, a servant atmosphere within his restaurants. And in fact, I think the Chick Fil A restaurants also you know try that. You know, you see their hospitality and you know my pleasure and the different things that they will say. Well, I'm told that there was a poster that they kept in the back of the Wendy's restaurants. Now, I didn't work in Wendy's. I worked in their competitor, McDonald's. Okay, I worked there uh, when I was a freshman in college. All right, after I graduated from high school, so uh, so I didn't see it, but success is service is what that's supposed to say. It kind of got jumbled up there a little bit, but uh, success is service, and, and, and on the poster in the back, I'm told it said, at Wendy's, we want everyone to get their MBA, and then in parentheses, it said, mop bucket attitude. <laughs> To have that attitude that when there's a need, you're willing to meet it. Even if it means go and grab the mop, grab the bucket, you're going to do whatever it takes to get the job done. And I was reminded of that as I was preparing for the message this week. Because today we're going to look at a passage that I'm sure is familiar to most of us. In the 13th chapter of John, where Jesus brings on an attitude of a servant. He displays humility in a way that would puzzle the disciples. As he gets down on the floor and washes their feet, a familiar story I realize, but let's take it, take a fresh look at it this morning and ask God to help use that example that was given to the disciples that day as an example for our church family as well. An example for us to look for the towel, look for the towel of, of service, look for the opportunity to be a blessing to others, to have eyes to see a need, and to have a heart like Christ's, a heart that loved others enough to do whatever it takes to meet the needs of those who are around him. So let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the 13th chapter of John. It's the beginning of what is known as the upper room discourse. Obviously, this is a time where the, the disciples are gathering in the upper room. What we may not always connect this story to is that it's some of his final teaching. Now, obviously, this is this is, is teaching that also involves demonstration, right? As he's uh, washing their feet. But this this is this is one of the last things that he would teach the disciples Before he would go to the cross. If you look at the upper room discourse, you see things uh, about service. You see uh, teaching on prayer. You see teaching on the coming of the Holy Spirit. And these kinds of topics that are there right at the end. But service is one of them. In fact, think of it this way. The sun wouldn't set again in the earthly life of Jesus Christ. He He would be betrayed later this night. He would be arrested, he would have the mock trials, and then he would be crucified. So we're right there at the very end when Jesus had a lot, a lot of things on his mind. He's about to go to the garden and about to, to, to sweat drops of blood because he feels the enormity of what is upon him. But before doing that, he has one other act of service that he wants to perform. In fact, in John 13, it even describes it as saying that he loved his disciples even to the end. And so as we go into John 13, keep that context in mind because it is a very dramatic call for us to follow him as our example. You've, you've noticed that in the music this morning, the, the music that was selected was to get us to, to be thinking about serving and thinking about following his example wherever he leads to go and to be found faithful. Let's look first of all this morning at the motivation of a servant. The motivation is a genuine love. And that is described right there in the first verse. Look at what it says. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Now I think there's, there's so much that we could pull out of verse 1. Let me just touch on a couple of things. The first one is Jesus knew who He was. He knew His call. He knew His responsibility. Or we could think of it this way. He knew His identity. It says here that He knew it was His hour. He knew what was to come. And now now He was ready to do that. And I think as Christians, for us to understand our identity in Christ, to understand our calling, to understand the unique responsibilities that have been given to us as a church, as a church family, to one another... And to this world is where that, that, that service flows. And it continues. If you look there, the word love is used twice. Now, don't read love and think emotion or feeling. Read love and think commitment. Think sacrificial commitment. Because that's really a better way of understanding that word. Feelings come and go. Emotions play tricks on us, right? But a commitment is something that is, that is, that is to, that is to uh, be present even when we don't feel like it, right? We love even when we don't feel loving or lovable because it's a commitment that we have. And this is the kind of commitment that Christ demonstrated. It says that He loved them to the end. It's interesting. If you go through the Gospel of John, you'll notice that there's a couple of words that provide, uh, provide uh, major themes throughout the book. The word light is one that you see early on. And then you see the word love used, light and love. In fact, if you go through and count it, you can see that the word light is found 32 times in the first half of John's gospel. But it's not found a single time in the second half. So the light was emphasized. But the closer we move to the cross, another word is emphasized, and that is the word love. In fact, it is, it is uh, used 12 times in the first half of the gospel but it's used 34 times in the last half. So the light has come and he has come and he has brought his love, his commitment. And it's, it's, it's no better uh, uh, demonstrated than what we will be reading here in John 13. Keep in mind also the context of his betrayal about to hap- uh, which was about to happen. Look at verse 2. It says, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son to betray him so Jesus is having a meal with this man Jesus would have washed his feet knowing what was to come knowing what was going to happen he was even loving this one who in so many ways was not lovable Jesus was approaching the darkest hour of his life and yet this was a final opportunity to teach his disciples a a, a lasting uh, lesson for them to embrace, and that they would uh, more fully understand even in the coming days. Again, his his expression of love was seen as he washed their feet. Not necessarily easy, but something that was a uh, demonstration of his genuine love. In fact, uh, John would would also write in the in the book of First John, chapter three, he would say, "Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed." And in truth, I wonder if he was thinking about this night when he penned those words. not to love in word or talk, but indeed, why do you think he's making that statement? Any ideas? It's pretty easy to voice words of love, isn't it? It's pretty easy to say it, but it's another thing to show it, to demonstrate it, to put that love in action. And I would I would say to you this morning that service is the proof of love. Or, or, or think of it this way, service is the test of love. If you want to ask yourself, am I, am I loving someone? Am I loving uh, my family? Am I loving my spouse? Am I loving my church family? Ask, ask this question, how specifically am I serving them? How am I serving them? In fact, early in our, in our married life, I had a, a man that gave me what I felt was some, some tremendous marriage advice. He wasn't a marriage counselor. He was, he was a man at the church who, who served. He served in the deacon body. And he said, Here's what I think is the key to a successful marriage, a God-honoring marriage. When the husband and wife try to outserve one another. I probably heard him say that 10, 20 times. To outserve one another. And I thought, what a what a what a way of, of showing true love by serving and serving each other. Think about how that might apply in the church family. Think about A ministry, if I can use the word successful, I know we opened up with that idea of successful, but I hope you know what I mean by that. A a, a healthy ministry, a a ministry that honors the Lord and and uh, and and follows his word that if we are to have a a successful, healthy ministry together, it will involve the church family serving one another. It's one of the pictures that we see just woven throughout scripture when uh, when describing the church now it may not it may not always involve a towel in washing of feet right that was a very specific need for a specific time and we'll talk about that in a minute but what might that service look like today maybe instead of a towel maybe it's a maybe it's a burp rag ne- next to the crib right in the uh, in the uh, in the nursery area maybe it's keys that that uh, that start the church van maybe it's Maybe it's a it's a it's it's material that you're taking with you as you're helping out in kids church or in a children's Sunday school class. Maybe it's opening up your home for for an event like the Disciple Now weekend for a prayer group, for a small group, someone to meet in your home. Maybe it's playing an instrument, as so many have done this morning already, or greeting someone at the door, helping with other needs within the church. Maybe it's as some will gather on Saturday to 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 take a rake and, and rake up some leaves for people who need some assistance there. That service takes all different forms and it even it may even take different forms throughout our life. You may be at a point where you say, you know, I, I wouldn't be able to to be a part of of helping rake up someone's yard. Well, maybe maybe your ministry looks different now. Maybe it's a ministry of prayer. I gather on on Wednesday evenings, Wednesday afternoons at 430. And there are some some tremendous prayer warriors that come and pray for this church week after week after week. And we take the, the prayer requests that are submitted and we we give updates and we share and we pray for the church and we pray for the country. We pray for our community. And that may be that may be a part of your service in giving time to pray for those who are in need of intercession. So I realize that it takes a lot of different forms. But let me just say it this way. When you are on the giving end of service, you are loving someone. You are putting your love for them in action. Your commitment to them in action. And, uh, and, and certainly it is something that, that Christ was exemplifying here in John 13. So I'm going to ask you to think about that question as we begin who am i serving what does my serving look like on a regular basis and uh, and i ask that even to our young people and i know that there's more of them in the second service but i'm going to i'm going to ask them and i know there's some that are right here with us what does your service look like how are you serving the body of christ are you having those opportunities are you looking for opportunities in fact if you are i want to draw your attention to this little connection card right here because this is one way that you can let us know I'm looking for an opportunity to serve in the church and you can put your name on there and you just put in there whatever whatever you're interested in whatever you're maybe you have a, a particular interest or a talent or maybe you're thinking of your spiritual gift or maybe you're just open to, to, to ideas um, and, and 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 we have real needs in fact right now during this service we have we have a nursery that's available for for uh, for young babies and we do not have enough people right now to have a full rotation and uh, we need some people that could say I could be a part of that rotation I could help out with the nursery I could help on Wednesday night that's that's a continual need but I can assure you there are many many others and so if you will if you'll just 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 let us know and I'll take these to the staff meeting and you know we pray every Wednesday over all the prayer requests that come in but it would be encouraging to say hey look Look at so-and-so. They're interested in helping in this area or that area. And so uh, please uh, take take advantage of that and and pull that out. In fact, you'll notice we have some new pins there in the pew. Did you see those? Did, did you realize that when we ordered those pins that they didn't fit in the hole? Who would have ever thought that, right? Well, we, we didn't think about that. And we got all these nice pins that work and they wouldn't go in. But someone came and uh, fixed that for us. Just volunteered their time, brought in some, some tools and a drill and a bit, and made all of those holes big enough to hold the pen. You would have never guessed that, would you? I can see everybody moving around looking for the pen. Go ahead. You can find it. Did you see it? How do the holes look? Did you do a nice job? <laughs> That's part of serving. Part of serving. And uh, and I'll just tell you, when, when we discovered that day that, that we had that problem, that we had... I don't even know how many thousand pins that were sitting here not not able to be used. There there was a lot of discussion on what we should do. And I just want to tell you a couple guys names came to my mind to my mind and said I think they can fix that for us. And uh, sure enough within the week it was done. And so that's that's the kind of service and I'm so grateful for for uh, for this church family and the way in which they can see a need and be willing to meet the need. Well, let's let's jump down And to jump uh, down into verse 34 and 35. Before we look at the the text for for today on on Jesus washing the feet. Because I think this puts it all into context. Then we'll look at the example that Christ gave. Look at verses 34 and 35. Jesus says at the end of, of what we'll be reading in a minute. A new commandment I give to you. That you love one another. Just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, a lot of context or a lot of uh, application from those two verses. But I know that some might be reading that and say, well, how exactly is that a new commandment? Because we can go back into the book of Deuteronomy and see a very similarly worded verse that, that tells us to love one another. And I'll show you where the difference is. It's in that phrase where Christ says just as i have loved you he fulfilled that passage in deuteronomy he 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 put it he put it uh, uh before the disciples and before us today in a brand new context a brand new example for us as his followers christians belonging to christ he has exemplified for us and he's also said it is a commandment That we also love as he loved. Let's look at his example together. Would you look at verse three with me? And we'll see the example for a servant is found in Christ. Found in Christ. Look at verse three. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God. Think again. He understood the identity. He understood his mission. He understood his authority. As well, I mean, you think about what he could have done that night to take care of of, uh, of feet that needed to be cleansed. He could have done anything. Here he was. He came from the Father. He was going back to the Father. But he understood that, that, that what was about to happen was part of the way in which he served and loved. Let's continue reading. It says, He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. What was happening there was a very common sight in the, in the, uh, in the idea of washing feet. Uh, that is something that, that in, in that day and age, would have would have been very common. Just as it is for us when we walk up to someone's door, you know, we, they have a doormat where we, we we wipe our feet. We understand that we, that we may, maybe in in some houses or particularly in some cultures in the world you would you would take your shoes off at the door as well, right? Well, in their culture, it was it was a little different in the sense that they're walking on dusty roads, not a lot of asphalt and pavement, right? They're wearing sandals. That's a very dusty area, and so so uh, they, they would they would wash feet, particularly before they ate, because this this idea of eating uh, around a table doesn't look like. Leonardo da Vinci's last supper painting, right? Where they're all seated up around in kind of medieval style. Not at all. I mean, it was a very low table. They might have had pillows. They might have been reclined more than sitting upright. And so, so the, uh, the, 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 the way in which you would be around each other would be very close. And if you think about someone walking all the way throughout the day on those, those dusty roads, what that might've looked like and smelled like, right? And so, uh, I'm just imagining that the family at that time would have would have had a conversation kind of like we would have in our home. I would I would talk to my youngest son, Brock. Brock, did you wash your hands before dinner? Right. But instead, I would have said, Brock, it's time for dinner. I need you to wash your feet and come on in. We're going to get started to eat. And he comes walking in the kitchen. I said, Brock, have you washed your feet? Yeah, yeah, I've washed my feet. You haven't washed your feet. Get back in there and wash your feet. I told you, we need to have dinner. Get those feet washed so we can eat. That, that's what it would have sounded like in that time. Because before they would be ready to eat, the feet would have to be washed. Now, in this particular occasion, they would have been expecting that there would have been a hired servant there. To have a, a, a meal of this magnitude with all of the disciples would have been in a, in, a, in a room. They call it an upper room, probably something that was rented for this occasion. And there would have been an expectation by the men seated around that room that there would be a servant or possibly a child that would come and, 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 and wash the feet of those who were, who were coming to eat. But there wasn't anybody there. But Jesus knew that, and He took that as an opportunity to demonstrate Uh, something uh, for them. Now, you would say, why didn't any of the disciples see the need? Did it cross their mind? Did any of them think, hey, maybe I should be the one to wash the feet? It would be so counterintuitive. It would be so much counter to their culture that they probably didn't even think about it. Maybe it was like they were looking into a mirror and they could see themselves. But Jesus was able to look through a mirror. And he was able to see others and he was able to see the need that was present. Reminds me of what Paul wrote in Philippians chapter two. He said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in what's that word? Humility, humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And I think that the the, one of the key words there is the word humility. As we think about our life in the church and our and our healthiness of church ministry, I would say that the greatest enemy that we have, probably one of the, the greatest enemies, is pride. Pride is an enemy to the church, and it comes out in so many different different ways. Thinking about my needs, my desires, my wants, my expectations, what I think should happen. And, and if it doesn't happen that way, I won't participate or I won't give. You, you, can, you can hear through the years people that, that take different perspectives. And it's really pride oftentimes that's speaking or a refusal to be involved or to serve or to help. That's pride. But the antidote to pride is this word right here. You see it there. Humility. Humility. And I, I, I see it pictured in the life of Jesus, where he's even to do he's even willing to do the task that the hired servant would have done, or that the child would have done, that he that he that there was no debate, no dialogue, no discussion. He saw the need, he took off the outer robe, and he, he went down, put the towel around his waist, got the basin of water. You can just see the imagery there of him taking these 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 feet of fishermen, right? that had been wearing sandals and walking on dusty paths and washing those feet and drying them with a towel one after the other. What a picture. What a picture for us of humility and service. And I know that some might say, well, if I'm looking out for the needs of others, who will look out for my needs? And I think it's interesting that also in the book of Philippians, just a couple chapters later, we read this verse in verse 19. And my God will supply every... Need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. It's almost like you can say, you know, I'm going to look at others' needs and I'm going to care for them. I'm not going to worry about myself. God's going to take care and meet my needs if I'm faithfully meeting the needs of those around me. So it's a matter really of identifying a need in order to meet the need. Maybe though we follow the pattern of the world that's around us, There's so many slogans, so many mottos that are out there we could spend the next part of our time just recounting them. This idea of putting ourselves first, looking out for number one. Statements like every man for himself, right? Sometimes we can take those 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 mottos from the world and we can we can think that they're truths to live by, can't we? We can get we can get deceived. I came across one recently that, that, that I thought was, that was interesting. It has its, its origin in, in, as, a, as a Polish statement, maybe like a Polish proverb. Ni moi cirk, ni moi malpi, which in, is a Polish phrase that means not my circus, not my monkey. Have you heard that? Has anybody heard that before? Not my circus? Has anybody said that before? That's what I want to know. Okay. All right. Get to know a little more about each other, right? Do you know what that means? It really means not my problem. Not my problem. Not my issue. That's your issue. Those are your monkeys. You deal with it, right? And so we have these mottos, these expressions from the world that if we're not careful, they, they can be embodied in the way that we even relate to one another. The point here is that Jesus identified a need and he met it. Sometimes in our, in our family, we, we use a little phrase. We say, see a need, meet a need. You ever say that because, you know, we could we could just step right around. Something needs to be picked up or cleaned up, right? Something gets spilled. We can just kind of move our stuff, right? What we need to do is see the need and meet the need. And that that certainly applies here in the church family. Now, there is a, a special encounter with Peter here that we have to look at. Look at verse six. It says he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now. But afterward, you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Isn't that something? (laughs) Peter's always quick to speak, right? Um, One one pastor said that uh, it was amazing that Peter didn't have his foot in his mouth at that point, right? But maybe he did. He was good at that. I I can relate to that. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. So Jesus is speaking beyond the physical cleansing here now, isn't he? Because this service pictures something that's about to happen. Jesus is pouring out water on the feet of the disciples, but within 24 hours, what else would he be doing? He'd be pouring out his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 9, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. So why was Peter adamant at first about not being washed by Christ? Because he obviously understood the cultural implications there of of it being the the role of 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 a hired servant, right? Of a child. But he himself had to be humbled to allow God, to allow the Lord to serve him. So again, the, the washing here was also being used to foreshadow that Jesus was about to pour out more than water. He would wash them and they would receive forgiveness. They would receive what he would provide for them. He says, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And you know, it's interesting because we've been given the books of First and Second Peter and we can see the maturity in this man's life. We can sure he can see this disciple growing in, in his understanding and in his faith. And he would pin these words in chapter two of verse twenty one, and say, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Do you think maybe Peter was remembering back on this night when he wrote these words? He knew that Christ gave him an example to follow. Well, let's look at the third point this morning, the expectation. There is an expectation of a servant, and that expectation is to actively serve. Let's look at verse 12. Actually, before we get there, let me add one other thing. As the, uh, as the disciples were gathering and as Jesus was preparing to go to the cross, we're not given this account in John, but over in Luke, At this exact same time, something is happening. The disciples are having a discussion. Do you remember what they were talking about? Do you remember? Who was the greatest? Right. Look over at Luke 22. We'll put it up on the screen. Verses 24 to 26. Same context. This is the same time period where they're having this discussion. It says, "...a dispute also arose among them." As to which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. And he said to them, The kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. But not so with you. Rather, let the greatest among you become as the youngest, and the leader as one who serves. So the the disciples had something to learn, didn't they? And that's why Jesus issues this challenge to them. They fundamentally misunderstood spiritual leadership. And they were looking at the example of what was around them in the world. But this idea of bringing together leadership and service is something that Jesus exemplified. So let's go back to our text, John 13, and see from verses 12 and following. also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. I don't know if it could be any more clear. He comes right out and says, here's the example. Here's what I want you to do. Remember, the time was short. The, the clock was ticking. The the, the final teaching of Jesus for the disciples is being encapsulated in part with these statements. And he even speaks about his identity again. He says that he is Lord. That means he's in charge, right? So we can read this by saying that the Lord is giving a command. But he's also saying that he is teacher. And he was a teacher. He is a teacher. And so we can look at this and say, well, the teacher is also giving an assignment, right? And that is for us to follow, for us to do what he is calling us to do. And I would just underscore that the issue is not really foot washing. I know that there are some churches that have that have brought that in as as a as a, as a sacrament or as as a, as a way of of uh, uh, using that. And it's not wrong for for something like that to take place. But but really, if, if we think that that's all that it's about, we're missing what Jesus is teaching. He's teaching for he's teaching us to love and to serve, to see a need, to to have humility and meet the need by serving one another as he was serving that night. Let me explain it this way. Maybe if you think back into days in which you were in school and some of you are in school, maybe you've, you've seen the, the difference between some different types of energy, potential energy and kinetic energy. I found a, a, a little picture that shows something about this potential energy. Can you guess which one that is? There on the left side, right? You've got a boy standing there with the ball. And there is potential energy because of his location and with a force known as gravity, right? There's potential energy. But in that left picture, it's just potential, right? But then you see the, the energy in motion. You see the movement. You see the, the kinetic energy happening there in the picture on the right. And I just want to want to say that, that oftentimes when we think about ministry and we think about healthy ministry, we, we use the word potential, don't we? Potential is not a bad word, and we do have potential, and because of the Holy Spirit energizing and being at work within us, there is potential energy. But let me ask you, church family, are you satisfied with potential energy? Do you want to be a potential church? Do we want to simply be satisfied with potential ministry? What do you say? No, what do we want to have? We want to have that that kinetic energy. We want to see motion. We want to see movement. We want to see activity, not just for the sake of being busy, but we want to see that 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 energy moving forward because we want to be obeying what Christ said. We want to be doing. We want to be finding needs, meeting needs, seeing people that are hurting and come along, coming alongside Seeing people that have a need and helping meet that need. Contributing to the greater needs of what is happening in this church family. Moves it from being potential to kinetic. John thirteen seventeen, The last verse here that we'll look at in the 13th chapter. We'll put it there on the screen. It says, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Oftentimes we pray for God's blessing, don't we We say, Lord, bless so-and-so bless me in this bless, bless, bless. Well, here's a verse that shows if we do something, we can find blessing. And what is that? It's in following the example of Christ. It's in humbling ourselves and, and maybe even doing something that we wouldn't normally do. I can remember in my first pastorate, we, uh. We were meeting in a warehouse for a time. We we'd first started off in a renovated car wash. Then we were in, we really moved up big time by meeting in a, in a renovated warehouse before we finally built a, a, a final a permanent facility. But in that time, there was a, a lot of growth. There were a lot of needs. There were a lot of, a lot of expense. And one of the things that we thought we, we could do for, for, for quite a long season was come up with a schedule where we would have families that would volunteer to come up and clean the church on Saturdays. And it was amazing to see all the families that would sign up. They'd come up and, and uh, they'd be on a schedule. And, and I remember one time it really struck me because I walked in and I saw a man and his daughter going from room to room. And it, it, it really struck me because I knew what this man did for a living. And I knew that there was probably a high possibility, probability, that the kinds of things he was doing in the church that day, he probably paid someone else to do in his home. And no one knew he was up there. And in fact, if I if I told you who he was and a little bit about what he did, you'd, you'd recognize part of his story. But there he was, going from room to room with his little girl, and they were cleaning out Sunday school classes in that time where we we needed the church family to to pitch in. And I would just say there are times that God will put a need upon us, upon our heart that 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 yeah, maybe we wouldn't normally do it. Maybe Jesus didn't normally wash feet right at every every banquet hall. But that particular night, that was part of his call. That was part of his ministry. That was part of what he was to do. And so I want to challenge us as a church to find a defined ministry of service. That when I ask the question, how am I loving the church family through my service? That something comes to mind that each of us are doing. I know that we're involved in a lot of community organizations, different, even local ministries. I support all of that and encourage all of that. But I would say don't forget about your own church as well. Find ways to plug in. Find ways to serve. In fact, as our small group ministry has expanded this fall by having small groups and homes. And we have, by the way, two more that are starting this evening. It's very exciting to see people responding to invitations to come into members, church members' homes to go through a Bible story and to discuss it. People that are not part of our church gathering together in church members' homes across the city. It's so exciting to see. But we're asking people as they think about their commitment. Yes, don't neglect a worship service. Even though you're leading a small group in your home, we ask you to come and, and do as you're doing this morning. Uh, participate in a, in, a, in a corporate gathering, a worship service participate in your small group and find a way to serve. And some of that service may be in, in leading a small group. But in other cases, it may be finding other ministries within the church. Sometimes I look around and I see that, that, uh, that some people are, are doing a lot of serving. And they, they're, they're filling in so many responsibilities. And I'm just reminded that if, that if all of us would contribute something in the world of service, that it would be balanced we would all have the opportunity to participate. All of the needs would be met. And I would encourage you to start. Start right here. Start right now. Think about it. Even, even as, as, as you're looking for, for a need, if you want the church leadership to help come alongside and, and help you find something, let us know. Let us know. And, and also, again, let me say one more time, we're in desperate need for, for those who can help in the nursery during this time. Maybe you could be on the rotation to help with that. We'll look at verse 17 again and then we'll close. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. If you do them. Not to think about it, not to take a course about it, but to do it. To put the love into action. It's time, I believe, as a church, for us to be reminded to pick up the towel, to pick it up. To find the needs, to see the hurt, to see the hopelessness, to see those around us that have a need and to to touch lives, to change lives for the glory of God in the different ministries in which he presents to us. This morning, we're going to take time today to have an invitation, a response time. Now, we'll still have the time in the back room if if someone is a guest and you want to meet me and we can talk, we can pray, we can we can we can uh, we can meet after the service. But this morning, we're going to have an invitation to the front. And if you have a need and you'd like for someone to pray with you, I'm going to be up here at the front. Russ is going to join me. We would we would love to pray with you if you have a need. But I'm going to ask you as a church family to pray for our church. Pray for these things. First of all, would you pray for humility? Pray for humility, Christ-like humility, first for ourselves personally, but for our church family. Would you pray for the service, the ministries of our church? We're going to be going into a big week with the view of a call week beginning Wednesday. Would you pray for for this candidate? Would you pray that God would would make his will known to us as a church family? Maybe as we pray also, we could consider our brothers and sisters in the, the country of France hurting right now with uh, a terrible terrible uh, uh, attack that's befallen their country so so uh, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna lead us in prayer and then we're, we're going to have an invitation song and Lynn's going to come and lead in a couple verses but I'm going to invite you to come would you come and pray and pray for our church today would you stand with me Lord Jesus we thank you for the example that you gave we thank you for The way in which you expressed your love. And we hear your words say that you have given us an example to follow. Lord, help us to know what it means to wash one another's feet. Help us to know what that kind of attitude looks like. Help us to have the attitude that's described in the book of Philippians that was in you. May it be in us. And may it be seen in the way that we interact with one another. The way that we joyfully and willingly jump in and serve as as opportunities present themselves. So Lord, in our time of invitation now, may this response be a time in which you move our hearts. May you lead us. And Lord, we pray that that through obedience we can find blessing as well. Speak to us now, Lord. And may we respond. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.